1: The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network.
0: Hey, it's Mario Lopez. David Taylor. Fred Metcalf. Johnny Hendrick. Tony Ramos. Boba J, Mike Gold. Matthew Modine. The one and only Chael Sonnen. And you are listening to the one and only short-time wrestling podcast by the often imitated and never duplicated Jason Bryant. I'm three-time national wrestling writer and broadcaster year, Jason Bryant, and I'll bring you news, reviews, previews, and interviews with the most notable names and personalities in wrestling. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app by logging on to matttalkonline.com slash listen. Short Time is sponsored by Flips Wrestling. Share your attitude and be heard at flipswrestling.com. Now it's time, because you've always got time for Short Time. For Short Time. Episode 266 of the Short Time Wrestling Podcast. Today we're going to be talking with Jason Knapp. He will be the broadcast voice of the Olympic Wrestling Games for Rio 2016 for NBC Sports. He's been a longtime sports broadcaster in a variety of sports. And Jason, first of all, before we even get to your background in wrestling and broadcasting, welcome to the Short Time Wrestling Podcast.
1: Jason, thanks for having me. Looking forward to catching up.
0: So let's catch up, first of all. Right now, we've had the Olympic trials. You worked that with John Smith. We'll touch on uh, working with him in a minute. But from Mm -hmm. the end of the trials in Iowa City to Rio in August, what is the preparation for you? What is what is your game plan? We talk about wrestlers having a training plan, a training cycle peaking. What is your procedure from when the team is set to when you get off that plane in Rio in August?
1: You know, a lot of it has to do with just trying to follow the day-to-day stories that kind of go along with after the trials and the athletes um, that were successful there. And then, you know, looking at their trials and tribulations of the ones that weren't qualified to go to those last chance qualifiers and try to get set. And then, you know, just coming off uh, recently doing the Freestyle World Cup again with John Smith for NBC Sports and NBCSN and, and, you know, getting a good look at some of the, the top competitors, at least in the freestyle ranks from around the world, that are going to, you know, be battling some of the Americans. And then really kind of diving in over the next couple of weeks, NBC and their Olympic research staff does exhaustive research. Uh, For London, I got a book just on wrestling of 150 pages of research. And that's just in addition to all the research that I'll do on my own, and all the research that I'll get from Gary Abbott and the folks at USA wrestling. So there's a lot that go in that goes into it. And I'll try to have conversations with athletes and coaches and different things and try to, you know, drum up some of the things that are going on in the day-to-day stuff, but also trying to give, you know, an overview of their stories and their backgrounds uh, to really kind of, you know, grab people's attention, you know, in the Olympic cycle, sometimes people are only dropping in every four years to see what's going on in the Olympics. And we're trying to give them, the best information on all these athletes' backstories that we can.
0: One of the difficulties with wrestling is our athletes only get one day to compete with the format that's changed over. When you're looking at that as a broadcast perspective and trying to get these human interest stories through, where's the discussion? Is it something that you have kind of control over? Is that a a production discussion with the producers and directors of the broadcast? And and where is that, that line where, okay, Jason, you take this, but we want you to focus on this also?
1: I think a lot of that, you know, Michael Molinari is a terrific talent producer that worked with us in London in the games four years ago. He's back to oversee that discussion um, with us and kind of oversee John and I. Um, It'll be John's, you know, first Olympics uh, working with us. Um, So we'll kind of sit down and we'll game plan every day as we look at the weight classes and try to say, okay, here are some here are some storylines. Here are some matches that we want to try to make sure that we show and then. You know, clearly, as an American broadcast group, we're going to follow all the American storylines intently, but not shy away from any of the other good storylines or great matchups or compelling things um, that we can, you know, follow along. You know, I'm sure, like Boris Novotchkov, you know, American guy wrestling for Bulgaria, I'm sure that's somebody that we'll try to follow on the day that he wrestles as we go along. So you're always looking for intriguing stories and then following up with what you know, shakes out in the day-to-day in the weight classes. You know, you you just never know. But it is difficult, like you said. You know, you see in some of these other sports, you can kind of really drum up interest when you see a multiple sport. Like, example, say like something like beach volleyball, where there's 10 to 12 days of competition, you're going to see, you know, Americans or top teams, you're going to see them multiple times and really kind of build that anticipation as they get close to the medal round, as you talked about. It's so challenging to try to, drum up um, kind of support and make sure you do justice to all these athletes storylines when they're only competing, you know, on one day. Uh, so we try to follow that and, and make sure we do justice to that. I think if you look back at London, in, in my experience of doing that, even when you see at the trials, we're trying to, you know, make sure we get those storylines across, but it is tough sometimes. Cause you look at it, especially a wrestler may only have, you know, that six-minute stretch, you know, when we come in and out of breaks, maybe seven, eight minutes to try to get the whole storyline across. And do that while you're also trying to make sure you, you know, monitor and call the match and all the action that goes, you know, hand-in-hand with that.
0: When it comes to the Olympics and the Olympic trials, these are NBC and USOC-controlled events. And uh, in London – there, there were there weren't people on the ground. I mean, this was this was something that's unique this year to bring the broadcast team back to the games. And uh, from a broadcasting perspective, getting the opportunity to actually be on site—that's just going to have to probably make things a little bit easier. Uh, you know, people are talking about the issues in Rio and whatnot, but being on the ground in Rio is probably going to make your job a little bit easier, or will it make it tougher?
1: You know, I, I haven't really thought about it. It's, it's great. You know, when we're at the trials and we're at different events. And even at the World Championships last year, uh, which we were able to call, uh, you know, it's good to be on site, be able to talk to people. But, you know, in London, we were kind of doing communications through email and, and, and texting at times to get additional information. But, you know, there's nothing like, you know, uh, being there. So we'll see what the, you know, I don't know the full logistics of, you know, where we'll be and what we'll be doing at. But, you know, clearly having the chance to to be there. Um, it's great. And, you know, I don't get into the discussion of how it's gone about, where we're calling action from. But I, I do think this year, with the excitement for the United States and coming off four gold medal winners from Worlds last year, I, I do think there's a chance for some really compelling, you know, stories and results for Team USA.
0: Let's just back up a little bit and, and talk about your background. You're not originally a wrestling guy, but uh, I got to think you're from New Jersey. You probably ran into the sport uh, a few times in your youth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of my brothers wrestled uh, as a kid, and uh, you know I, I have an affinity for everything. I love um, documenting stories. I love seeing um, great athletes you know, at whatever level too. It doesn't matter if you're if you're competing for a championship or you've got you know, to the best at their sport at whatever level it is, there's there's the opportunity there to really kind of tell some unique stories and document some great action. And I've been fortunate enough to have a varied experience of calling, uh, I believe, in, I'm in the mid-30s now, different type of sports. But whenever you get to do it, at, at a, when there's something on the line, it's great. And they have the opportunity to call a lot of wrestling in recent years, especially when you look at you know, different conferences and then you step up to the international level and it's called the world and to call an Olympics. I mean, regardless of the sport, there's there's just nothing like it.
0: When you got past high school, you went to Syracuse, which is one of the most Widely known broadcasting schools. I mean, the the alumni that have come out of Syracuse that are that are on television and in in the print media, uh, you you can't count that high. I mean, it was one of my top choices when I was coming out of high school, specifically for that reason. But when it came to wrestling, uh, what was your first experience in, in calling a match on on television? Do you remember that that process and that that scenario?
1: Yeah. So I I was a, a local sportscaster coming out of Syracuse. You know that the landscape has changed so much in the last. You know, 20 years or so ago, I was uh, was at Syracuse and I was broadcasting, doing radio on on student radio station, W.A.R., which talked about as a lot of great alumni. Mike Tarico was actually, um, had graduated Syracuse and was a sports director at the local CBS affiliate in town. I had an internship there and that kind of turned into a part time job where I would do a lot of behind the scenes work, producing and editing tape. And I learned so much from Mike over the years he's you know i mean where his career has taken him uh is is clearly not a surprise to me he's the most organized person i've ever met you can see that in his work um i'm very excited that hopefully i'll have the chance to you know be reunited with him a little bit on the air now that he's made the move to NPC and i believe he'll be um in rio so it'll be great to kind of catch up with him even a little bit more um on site but anyways i, I had a background from him and Got the chance to do that. So I was your local sportscaster. I worked in West Virginia for a couple of years and then I moved to the Wilkesbury uh, Market in Pennsylvania, where I still uh, reside today. And then eventually I got back into doing live remote sporting events and I started working for a company called College Sports Television, which has now morphed into CBS College Sports and now it's CBS Sports Network, which is what it is today. But at the time, Chris Bevilacqua. Um, former college wrestler. One of the reasons he wanted to start the network was he was frustrated that a lot of Olympic sports weren't getting their due justice of being on TV all the time. So wrestling was kind of one of the big staples in the initial spot of that network. And I'd started working for the network on some other sports. Eventually the opportunity came to do some, some wrestling. And I was able to kind of, you know, jump in and learn and work with some great people over the years. I think the first show I did, I can't remember if I did a college show first with Jeff Blatnick um, in the Ivy League. It may have been like uh, uh, Penn and Cornell uh, in the Palestra, if my memory serves me correct. I know one year, too, we had gotten the rights to do um, Nationals at one point. Um, So I know I did that with Al Bevilacqua, Chris's dad, at one point. Uh, We we kind of voiced it over and taped in the studio. And then you know, throughout the years, I've been able to work with some great people. Be it on CSTV or CBS Sports Network. You know, the late Jeff Blatnick, who I miss, and uh, I still work with Ken Chiarito. We did a ton of stuff in, in the CSTV days, and we still work together on Pac-12 Network shows now and then. You know, um, it's just been a it's been a fun uh, fun thing to continue to uh, do. Anthony Robles has kind of joined. Um, that Pac-12 team, so they get the chance to work with him. And then at the Olympic level, working with Rulon the last few years, Rulon Gardner, and now with uh, John Smith. I mean, I'm lucky to work with so many talented guys.
0: So when you get thrust into a sport that, say say it's roller derby, say it's curling, which you've got Olympic experience in broadcasting, when you have a limited knowledge of the sport to start with, What is the process in in trying to educate yourself and do the research? So uh, do you try to just play, all right, I'm just going to play the straight man, call the action, and kick kick basically the softballs to your color commentator? How do you evolve into becoming, okay, from that to, I know what I'm talking about here. I don't need to necessarily lean on the color man as much.
1: Well, I always, you know, I would like to do my job, which is kind of documenting the action, telling storylines. But, you know, I'm not going to tell John Smith you know, about single leg takedowns, you know, there's nobody ever better. So, I mean, I'm trying to put myself or I should say put my analyst and the rest of our broadcast team, allow them to do their jobs the best way and put them in a position to succeed and try to lead the broadcast um, in in a lot of ways. So whether it's wrestling or curling, as you talked about, or, or different sports, I clearly want to do my homework and have an understanding of everything that goes on. But when you're talking about expertise of technique and uh, knowing what it's like to be involved, you know, on the mat at a high level event, uh, you know, that expertise sounds so much better coming out of the mouth of someone that's experienced it than me. So that's something that I try not to do. My job is kind of documenting the action, tell storylines and kind of lead, lead our show and kind of, uh, you know, be um, kind of you know, driving things around. I always like to say I'm I'm driving the bus, and our analyst is kind of the tour guy pointing out all the exciting things that you need to see and say. So, uh, you know, usually if that works, then we have a pretty compelling show. And you know, I think hopefully over the you know last decade plus now that I've done wrestling either at a college level or international level, that you know we do it justice.
0: When you were first breaking in, what was there was there an instance where you're like, okay? Uh, I've probably made the wrestling community mad, and and you found it as a learning experience. I know there's that one dreaded word I I loathe that I won't even say on my show here, uh, which combines two terms that ends a match, so to speak. You can probably draw the connections there. But what was one of your your early learning experiences? Be like, okay, this this wrestling group we can be a tough crowd.
1: Well, I think you know you just try to keep you know being positive and being honest. I mean, if you make a mistake or you make a scoring mistake or you misspeak, you just you know, I think you, 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 you apologize for it or, or even just say, Hey, my mistake and you move on. I think people do that. I think you have to have a passion for it. And I certainly do. I, I hope that, like I said, over the time that I've been doing this, that you can hear my passion for what we're doing and trying to, you know, be honest and, and, and fair in the stories that we're looking to tell. But, you know, it's been terrific because there's been so many great moments that I've been fortunate, you know, to see and say, um, you know, over the years. So it's, it's fun like that. I mean, I I get some feedback sometimes, but you know, a lot of it has been, you know, directly to me when I see people at events has been positive. Um, So, you know, you hope that, that, that continues. I mean, you're never going to please anybody and anybody in this business, you would know this. It takes time. time. Some people, no matter what you do, they're not going to like you or they're not going to like your style. And there's nothing you can do to change that. All you can do is be prepared every day, do the best that you can go out there and, and hope that, People respect you, respect you for the way you go about your job and, and the passion that you show in doing it.
0: With broadcasting, when you broke in, when you aspired to be a broadcaster and, and now you're, you're making this as your career, what is your ultimate career goal? What's what's one event that you'd say that you kind of looked back in your early career and be like, I want to do this. This is something that is a
1: goal. You know, I was never a guy that said, okay, hey, I want to be patriot baseball broadcaster, or I wanted to do this. The one thing that I've done that was kind of one of those things that I wanted to do was the Olympics. And it's, you know, there's nothing like sitting down and doing an Olympic broadcast. So, you know, wrestling, as fans know, it's usually the second week of the Olympics. It's the last eight days. And when we were doing that for London, I was also asked to do some other sports for um, the Olympics. So with the time change for London, where we were calling it from, I did archery on the very first day of the 2012 London Olympics, and I sat down, it was men's team archery competition, US, pretty good squad, we're going through the day, and the competition, they win, they win again, then they get to the semifinals, they upset the number one team of the world in Korea, they have a chance to win their, the, the US's first medal of the 2012 Olympics, so uh, they went and faced Italy in the gold medal match in team archery for the men. It came down to the last arrow. Italy needed the 10 to win, even though for these wrestling fans, I know that are listening and that may not be archery fans. The guy had to to hit the center of the bullseye to win gold medal, and he did it. The U.S. had to settle for silver. But just that thrill, the emotion of that, you know, on the very first day, I mean, I was hooked. You know, a lot of the folks from NBC said, you're really going to enjoy doing this, or it's just going to be so overwhelming. Maybe it won't be that. And I'm hooked. I mean, I hope that I'm asked to do it until I can't do it anymore. It's, it's really, really such a thrilling thing. And I think you could see that for the wrestling fans, when you saw the emotions, whether it's at the Olympics or even at the trial, some of the responses of people when they, when they make that Olympic team, it's just amazing to see the passion flowing out of them. You could feel it. You know, coming from every pore of their body, how much it means, like remember you know, look at Robbie Smith, you know, after he won, just you know to be able to make the olympics it's it's just so it's so fun to have the ability to kind of be there to document those stories,
0: and to get that opportunity, did you feel growing up that you and early in your career, you needed to be maximizing your potential sports. If you look at your bio, I mean, there's there's not a You said 30 sports you've probably called. I know I'm probably in the teens in that respect, and that's something I always tried to do was have a background in enough sports that I could be – you know, I always point to Vern Lundquist because you can put him in anything, and it's awesome. I mean, how many guys do SEC football and the Masters? I mean, you got two different emotions when it comes to the sports and styles, and uh, that's how I kind of modeled what I wanted to, to be as a broadcaster. But – when you you branch out i mean were the opportunities just hey you want to try doing curling or was it you know all right i i, I want to do this sport just to get that that interest that background to kind of open that door for a potential olympic type of uh, opportunity
1: well first of all i knew i liked you for a reason because Vern is also my guy i mean my gosh the ability for him to be able to kind of morph and, and do different things i know people you know have seen him now, and, and again, like I say, some people aren't for everybody, but Vern just has the ability to kind of, I mean, imagine somebody who's, who did the figure skating at a couple of Olympics and can switch off and do something totally different. So when I got into this too, remember, I was a local sports guy. So I was, you know, the guy going out to cover all these different sports. I've always had an appreciation for it. And at the time that I was breaking in, a lot of the college football jobs, there wasn't this kind of, spot where every college football game, average college basketball game was on TV. So when I kind of came in, I was doing different sports. I was doing wrestling. I was doing volleyball. I was doing soccer. I was doing this. So after a while, you kind of pick up a reputation and my reputation, which I embrace now is that, Hey, you know, I I like to think I can do anything. And and that's something that I really pride myself on is, is taking on new roles and finding out and understanding how to how to do things and getting in and learning and, and, you know, having that thirst for knowledge and understanding of, of doing sports. So I never shy away from it. People used to call and ask, do you know how to do something? And now they just call and say, Hey, we'd like you to do this because I think they have the trust level and the faith that I'll um, have an understanding of how to make it work for television. When you put all the components together with the an analyst and our director and producer and all the pictures and sound that we put together, and we we'll make television.
0: What's the strangest sport and environment you've had to had to call an event, whether it be, all right, I've got to go to Amherst and, and cover some women's lacrosse game or something like that. I mean, there's got to be some strange matchups that you've had to call, maybe from schools you'd never heard of previously.
1: Yeah, well, you know, in the days of, of I was saying, the CSTV, it, it was a great opportunity because they were doing so many things That they are doing you know, Division Three, Division Two national championships, a lot of times putting those on national TV is some of the first times that some of those had gotten on. And and now in this day of streaming, a lot of those live on. I mean, NCA.com does a great job of documenting a lot of that. So there were a lot of those things. But it's funny, now people are putting more investment in television. So I've just done things from strange places, you know, a lot of times in like lacrosse, women's lacrosse, there wasn't like the infrastructure of like an actual booth outside. So, you know, I can remember sometimes climbing up temporary scaffolding to do a you know, a game at the top of it and, or to be on like a actual lift that you'll see the cameras on. So you would see at a construction site and they would actually put the broadcast booth on there. And then I would just, uh, you know, work the lift and lift us up to a certain height so that we could see the field properly. And then, and just kind of go from there. I've done, you know, kind of high school football, you know, that way in, in, in different cases. And, you know, sometimes when we take things that come from a different section of the world, we're in uh just in a booth or, or sometimes, uh, you know, just a, a recording closet, depending on where it is to be able to kind of do stuff, like sound work. So there's a lot of uh, different things. That I think people at home don't always get to see, but um, it's fun. I love what I do. I'm really passionate about having the chance to do it. The travel can be crazy sometimes when you're doing a game somewhere and you got to be somewhere the next day and you're looking at flights to make it work. But somehow, um, you know, more often than not, knock on wood, you know, everything works out. You get to where you need to be.
0: Yeah, you, you're telling the story about the lift. I remember I was announcing the Division Three Women's Lacrosse Regional when I was living in Pennsylvania. I was doing the PA, and the guy from Franklin and Marshall, which was hosting it, he was on the scissor lift. So the, I'm just picturing that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, there's there's <laughs> Mackie's up there on the scissor lift. So I remember that. And then you, you talk about the, the various places to go. I think one of the, the stranger situations is when you have to do something in a, a tape delay, a voiceover, where – Uh, you basically have to watch something that, like, you've never seen it before and do it. I think I had an experience where, uh, I was at the Dave Schultz, one of the referees. Hey, yeah, they, they, you went up there to Wyoming for that duel. Like, actually, no, I did the voiceover for my mom's kitchen table with my equipment. So, uh, and then another story with the beat the streets I did with Rulon and Fox College Sports. The audio got zapped and we had, they had to fly me from the body bar down in Orlando to Utah to reshoot the audio in a sound booth in Logan, Utah. So me and Rulon basically have to fake it in like the sound booth. Like we're in time, man, this is great, man. Do you see, cause we were there, we could kind of remember the atmosphere, but you know, the voiceover and tape delay also brings another element. And how do you, how do you kind of, when you're in that situation, how do you try to capture that excitement? Do you watch the video first time through, or you just, you know, shoot from the hip?
1: I generally don't watch uh, stuff ahead of time. Uh, uh, I may know the results, but I won't. I really don't watch it. I don't want to have that kind of predetermined um, thing on the rare occasions that happens. Maybe something, if, it, if there was something really tricky um, where there was a controversial call or ending, then, and if we are doing it on tape delay, then I may take a peek of that to have an understanding of exactly what's going on. But I don't want to, I always try to do stuff, you know, live you know, and, and, and live to tape. And, you know, we, when we've done stuff um, sometimes in wrestling, you know, the control of, of certain matches is difficult. So sometimes um, at the Olympics, you know, you're, you're taping stuff through the course of the day and then you're seeing it played back, but we call everything live, you know, and, and say in London, you know, over the course. we'll call matches that sometimes won't air depending on time restraints. But we call—I probably tried to estimate how many how many bouts I called in London. Whether there's, so, there's eight days, eighteen way classes, and I've easily figured I called 150, 180 bouts in London. Now they all didn't air just because of time constraints and 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 certain stories that kind of didn't you know work out, but. We're busy, kind of trying to have all that stuff ready because, it, again, it's a fluid situation. It's not just what we're doing wrestling-wise; it kind of fits into the landscape of, you know, what are kind of compelling storylines that day, and you know, fitting in everything with the kind of theme for NBC and, and what they have time and resources to show, based on all the, just the, the sheer volume now of um, of all the Olympic stuff going on.
0: I want to get your perspective on, on John Smith here. You alluded to him and his knowledge earlier. And I, re- I remember when I first heard that John Smith was going to be part of the broadcast team and I knew you were going to be there, I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting for Jason. So I, I'm curious on what your initial thought was. You're putting a guy on television that really doesn't have much television experience. The knowledge is obviously there, but the delivery and the understanding of how television works, I mean, were you a little cautiously cautiously optimistic, I guess, going in, and then you know at the end of the tournament, I heard rave reviews about John and some. You could see where he was on the on the mic asking questions in the interview area, and and from everything I heard, because uh, I was obviously there, I wasn't watching the broadcast. But what was it about John that that kind of maybe were you were you pleasantly surprised about his performance?
1: No, I, I I really wasn't surprised at all. We you know that we got there and and uh, you know. John was there and it really was his kind of first time, um, you know, working on television and we kind of had some conversations leading up. I know he spent some time with our, our producer and and chatting some things up and some folks from NBC. So they had us kind of practice before we went on the first day and some of the early kind of qualifying rounds. And we called one period and they said, stop because they were like, that's great. Don't, you know, it's great. So I always like to say, I've, I've worked with a lot of analysts doing a lot of different sports and, Some sports haven't had a lot of TV experience over the years. Now it seems like everybody has everything streaming on TV. So you're generating more analysts. And it's great. By the time I've worked with a lot of people that are just kind of trying to break in, whether it be a former coach or a current coach or athletes. And the one thing is, is that they have a great knowledge of their sport. And I always say, look, I know television, you know, your sport, we're going to kind of meet somewhere in the middle with how we're going to do everything. And, and John's so passionate, so knowledgeable. I didn't have any problem that he, or any, you know, thought that he wouldn't be able to do it. He clearly uh, caught on really fast, continues to do that. I still think that there's, you know, certain little kind of TV centric things that he can do a little bit better. And certainly he wants to do that. Anybody that's achieved what somebody like John Smith has achieved in their lifetime as an athlete and as a coach and just as a human, like you look at it, they want to get better. They didn't get to the highest level without taking constructive criticism and wanting to be coached. So certainly there are some things that I know he, he knows he wants to do a little bit better. They're not major things. They're just little kind of, you know, things that somebody in the kind of the TV world would know, but I, I thought he was great. His passion is great. His knowledge is great. And, and understanding of everything. and I, I could say that for all the guys I've worked with they they all have that passion and knowledge um, to kind of really jump in and and really add some valuable things to the broadcast.
0: And so we're clear on how these broadcast roles get. You don't work full time for NBC sports. You, you know, explain how that works as as basically a gun for hire in the broadcast world.
1: Yeah, for me, I'm a freelancer. So, uh, you know, different networks will call me to hire and do different sports. So I kind of right now currently am, am am working for NBC in a variety of roles, you know, uh, and, and trying to fit that in with my schedule. So um, I'm excited to do the Olympics again. This will be my third for them overall. And I've been fortunate enough to be asked to do some other stuff. I did a an Arena Pro Swim Series event uh, the week before. We just did uh, the Freestyle World Cup for NBC and worked with Rowdy Games. So that was terrific. I mean, the folks at NBC have been, you know, phenomenal to me, and look forward to continuing to do a lot of things with them. And the, especially in the Olympic sports world, it got, you know, just a, you know, wonderful avenue to kind of tell stories. And with them kind of locking up, you know, long-term Olympic rights, it's uh, nice to see that marriage and and have that kind of consistent home for the Olympics and telling their stories and really, you know, what they've done in the last uh, decade plus now of, uh, you know, just documenting the Olympics and doing a terrific job. It's, it's, it's great to be associated with that product for these type of events.
0: With your experiences with NBC Sports and working with the Olympic trials and various sports, have you seen an increased interest from the network in covering wrestling and doing more stories for the Olympic year, for the Olympic trials?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I think they're always um, engaged with with telling good stories and having, you know, great action. Um, we've seen that with, you know, the ability to do a lot of things. And USA Wrestling has done that, too, and stepping to the plate and making sure that their product is out there and being able last year to do, um, you know, the U S open and to do the U S world team trials, um, world championships aired on ESPN had the chance to call that, you know, ESPN had the rights to the world championship and that's uh, why they were on there and not necessarily NBC, but you know, whoever it is and putting out the product and working with whatever production team, uh, whether, it you know, be affiliated with NBC or, or ESPN or somebody else, just to have high quality level people, um, that know and understand how to do television. It, it, it makes it so much fun to be there. It's just, it's been great. You just look at being able to do that. And like, we were even talking about it. Look at the year that Kyle Snyder's had in the last like 16 months, you know, in, in winning everything. And it's kind of cool to see that I was along for the ride for a lot of it, you know, at the US Open, at the World Team Trials, at the World Championships, at the Olympic Trials, at the Freestyle World Cup. And now we'll kind of be able to kind of continue that storyline string as we get, you know, ready to go to Rio.
0: And from a broadcasting perspective, for the fans who are unfamiliar with how this works and I've kind of been in this, uh, this role, I mean, I've been doing this for for 20 years since I was in, in, in high school and it's getting in the door, so to speak. You don't just say, well, that guy's great. He should be doing this. That's not how it works. You've got to go through the process. I mean, NBC, uh, CBS, you know, ESPN, they're not just going to put any Tom, Dick and Harry on, on a broadcast because there's there may be a a swell of support within a certain sport community. So from a television aspect, when networks are looking to bring people on in whether it be a color or play-by-play role, what are kind of the benchmarks they need to hit and, and the experience they need to have?
1: Well, I would say, you know, coming from a, a great school like Syracuse that really gave you a lot of the, the fundamentals and the building blocks to be successful is, I always say two things. It's just number one is get on the air, no matter where you're at, what level it is, but just be in that role of of conversation. If you want to file wrestling reports, file wrestling reports. If you want to be a writer and write about wrestling, start writing. I do think that there's a fundamental translation of being able to write also helps you in, in, in doing television and doing play by play and doing reporting because when you write effectively you're able to kinda of understand how to build stories and build ideas and build structure and you know, conversations different than that, but when you're kinda of in, in thinking of themes and thinking of stories to kinda of tell it really helps to have that foundation and understanding of, of what's gonna what's gonna go on during an event. And there's just no no experience like, you know, continuing to get experience. It doesn't matter, but you said you've done PA. I mean getting PA and just having an understanding of what your voice sounds like and projecting and diction and all those type of things to continue to talk. And then if you can call games, I mean, at Syracuse you know, it's well documented. Like when I was there, you know, you were in the stands making tapes of the games at basketball games, at football games, and the older students would kind of listen to those tapes and they clear you to get on the student station. But nowadays it seems like, you know, high schools, middle schools all have, T V and and uh you know, audiovisual departments where they're doing all the broadcasts. It's like you show up at college now and you're already you have got game tape <laughs> to give to uh to give to people to show you that you can do it. And that's awesome. It's great to see that you know people are doing so much more at such a young advanced age.
0: Yeah, I remember coming through, you know, in the nineties where I where I went to high school, oddly enough, there was no A V department I think in any High school in the area that I could have gone to. I lived in Newport News, then I moved to Pocosin. And it was weird because I was at this giant, I would have been at this giant high school, which didn't have the ability to get me on the PA system because their football team played at a city stadium where they had a PA announcer. So it was this little town that had little PA boxes. So that's, that's how I got into it with baseball and then into wrestling and then the eight different sports. And the you, you mentioned Syracuse here, why I didn't go to Syracuse. one, the, the weather, which is funny because I live in Minnesota now. two the the, the amount of competitive competitiveness to get on the air at Syracuse was crazy. like I, I go to Old Dominion. I have an opportunity to get on the air within the first you know six months to a year. Syracuse or James Madison, I would have been waiting for a while waiting for a while. and you know those those relationships you build in the markets, that was key. So ultimately it was Syracuse's success that <laughs> opted me not to go that route. So it's kind of funny that it, it can kind of work both ways. And, and I think a lot of places have, have seen people go, well, that's, I don't want to wait three and a half years to get on the radio at a place like Syracuse. I can you know carve out and make your own mistakes uh, when, when nobody's listening, so to speak.
1: Yeah, maybe that's the reason that everybody's really good is because the weather's so bad. <laughs> you got to stay busy in working, uh, working on your craft. I mean, the weather is, is what it is. I mean, actually the fall and the spring there can be great. And the winter is just, you know, powerful, but, uh, yeah, I mean, for my high school, I went to Shawnee high school in, in South Jersey, outside of Philadelphia, and, you know, our, our, uh, one of our chemistry teachers now retired, you know, used to run PA over the loudspeaker. And I was into it, but I was kind of, I did everything. I, I played soccer. I was in music. I did theater. I did a lot of stuff, student government or and different things but I really kind of wasn't sure what I wanted to do and I kind of had that idea of communications and sports and then when I got to Syracuse I mean the bug just hit me right away and I just really kind of dove into that and then you know again continued to work and continue to do a lot of different things there and was fortunate like I said good instruction combined with you know passion and creativity and I, I, I like to say too it was you know like broadcasting there is you know not to, to brag, but you look at the amount of people that have come out of here. You felt that. I mean, a lot of guys that I've done stuff, you know, with in college or were either a few years ahead of me, a few years behind me have done, you know, monstrous things in this business. And I like to think that I'm, you know, I've done, you know, that too. I mean, we all are achieving at the level um, that we achieve at. So it's, uh, it's just neat. I mean, it was, a, it was a great experience and, and I'm, I'm glad I've gone through all the things that I've gone through. It makes you appreciate Um, some of the highs when you hit them so much more.
0: And the lesson there, too, is kids, if you want to get into broadcasting, I was this kid, record everything, even if it's, you know, I've got – I still have tapes, actual cassettes from – I actually found it the other day. It was an Old Dominion Texas Tech women's basketball game because we didn't even have live remotes at the station at that time because our transmitter was down. So we had to record it on tapes and play it back in a tape delay situation. So kids – People that want to get in broadcasting, if you've got the ability to record something, these recorders are pretty cheap nowadays. I mean, you can get one for about a 100 bucks and, and be able to get a decent enough quality to go back and listen to. And, uh, you know, it's really hard to listen to yourself. I'm sure you know that, that, you know, critiquing oneself after the facts. Like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. But kids, everybody, record yourself. Get that stuff like Jason was talking about. Now I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and this is a short time segment. I'm going to go. 10 questions, 90 seconds. Some of them are wrestling related. You're going to be on the clock. You ready for the challenge? Sure. All right, what's the best match you've ever
1: watched? Wow. I I don't think you can top Burroughs' gold medal match last year or four years ago against iran that was just great with what was compelling and what was on the line
0: you win the olympic gold medal what do you eat for dinner
1: a big old t-bone steak
0: who's the best wrestler you've encountered that people aren't talking about
1: enough oh <sighs> i'm really curious to how Jaden cox fares in rio
0: you're an athlete, so you know this. What's your all-time favorite flavor of Gatorade?
1: Oh, got to be orange. Syracuse—that's a no-brainer. <laughs> What's the best wrestling movie? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, I- I'm an um, I'm an '80s guy, and I knew um, one of the stars in the movie. So Vision Quest is always up there.
0: Who's your favorite international wrestler to watch?
1: I'll tell you what, non-U.S. guy, after just watching him this weekend, was Hassan Yazdani of Iran. That guy's skilled, and it's going to be fun to watch him in Burroughs if they meet Rio. You and the Powerball,
0: what's the first sports program you're going to start at the college? Maybe not wrestling, but uh, say you got you got some money, I want to start a program, what's it going to be, and where's it going to be?
1: Wrestling back at my alma mater.
0: Thank Seriously. you! All right, uh... You teed that up, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't expect that answer, but I loved it. All right, number eight, you're from South Jersey, so the answer to this is easy. Is it pork roll or is it Taylor Ham?
1: It's none of the above. It's cheesesteak, baby. (laughs) Oh,
0: okay, so you're not even going that route. You don't want to make a distinction.
1: All right. No, 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 no. It's sheast steak or, or even we could we could really throw people for a loop and say Scrapple. But that's a whole nother conversation.
0: Yeah, that's that's more of a I, I lived in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. The the clock is stopped, by the way. You got me on the Scrapple topic. Yeah. Central PA Dutch. Oh, my gosh. Every diner's got Scrapple. And if you know what's in it, you won't eat it. Just don't right. think about it. Just put ketchup on it and go. All right. Back on the topic, your favorite restaurant on the planet, because you've traveled a lot. You've probably eaten a lot of places in a lot of
1: strange places favorite restaurant on the planet wow you know i've eaten a lot but i'm always i'm not a i'm not a great uh foodie like i like food but i i I sometimes i'm in such a rush to eat um barbecue let's let's say how about the dinosaur barbecue in syracuse started there uh right when i was finishing up in syracuse now it's expanded there's probably eight to ten locations across the country it's awesome and their cornbread is to die for
0: and who is going to be the best individual wrestling story of the Olympic Games?
1: Boy, I'll tell you what—you um, know, Burrows there and Snyder, um, and and I also—I uh, think Adeline Gray has the chance to really become a breakout star, not only in the U.S. but has the has the chance really to shine. I mean, you've got those four gold medalists from last year. I, I'd be Fun to see all four of them have their hands raised in Rio. All
0: right, that ends the short time segment. and the time we got left, Jason, you just want to throw any, any any topics out there. Any anything you want to address with the wrestling community? Uh, feedback on on what fans can expect and uh, what the expectations are from a viewer from Rio, and, and or maybe what the life of a wrestling broadcaster.
1: No, it's just uh, thanks for for supporting what we do. Uh, we try to do things. The best we can and and give this great sport justice continue to grow it continue to try to you know educate with the likes of like john smith and and just tell stories and that's what i do for a living you know is hopefully document action and tell stories and we hope that we do that the best way possible and the other thing is just come up say hi introduce yourself i love to meet people when we're on the road and and hear back from people that you know get the chance to watch us and And, you know, ensure that we love what we do. I mean, we wouldn't be doing it if people out there didn't watch. So we really appreciate all that support from the folks across the country and across the world.
0: And last shot, where can people follow you on social media?
1: Uh, For me on Twitter, it's my last or my full name, Jason Knapp 44, Jason Knapp 44 at Twitter.
0: So now you've got a little insight on what it's going to be like in Rio, at least from a broadcast perspective. Again, you've heard John Smith and Jason Knapp at the U.S. Olympic team trials. You've recently probably heard him at the World Cup. So uh, Jason has been uh, been a pro at this for a long time. Glad to see we've got a voice like his in the sport of wrestling, somebody who actually cares about the athletes, who cares about the performance and cares about the presentation. So I've got a little homework assignment for you right now. So this is for you listening on the web, right there, on your computer, on your phone. You're listening on the web. So you're right there on MattTalkonline.com. You got this link on Twitter. So underneath the player, you're gonna see a list of options. You're gonna see it very simply. It's gonna say play a new window, download, embed, subscribe to this show. This is where I want you to focus in on right now. So if you're on an iOS device, you see that iTunes link, click that and hit subscribe. That way, this show will be delivered to you each and every day that it's released automatically. It's it, You don't have to go constantly looking at Twitter feeds. Because, oh, I'm going to listen to this. You can listen to it on your iOS device without a problem. Same thing with the Android. Boom, there's a link. If you've got an Android specific device that has uh, like a Beyond Pod or a podcast addict type of player, that'll give you the subscribe to Android. Now, if you want to go to the main page of matttalkonline.com if you're listening to this show from there right now, on the right side you'll see a bunch of icons at the top near the top of the page on the right side where you'll see an itunes like that's obviously where you subscribe to itunes there's also the apple logo that is where you will subscribe or download the free ios app for this show for the short time wrestling podcast you can also do so with that little where is it at the the android link you've got that you've also got the SoundCloud link, we've got iOS devices, Overcast, Pocket any place that you can subscribe to this show. I encourage you to do so through your mobile device. We're on iHeartRadio. We are on SoundCloud, even though I really don't like SoundCloud. So if you're listening on SoundCloud, I'm sorry. I am eventually going to be moving off the platform, but for now, it's there. It's a necessary evil, but uh, for those of you that do listen to it through SoundCloud, appreciate it. Check out one of the other apps. Uh, Might I suggest the Spreaker app, which is a good one. Google Play Music, if you're on an Android device, now has podcast support. That is how you can listen to this show, get it each and every time. There's also a quick place to go get all this stuff as far as the apps go, and you can go to matttalkonlinecom slash listen, and that's going to have links to various things, including the mobile apps. I've mentioned the iOS app, which is at com slash iOS app. Or the Android app, if you don't like Google Play, or you don't have any of these other Android podcast listing devices, simply go to com slash Android app. That will take you right to the Google Store. Again, for free. There's no cost with this download. So, boom, there you go. You can listen to this show anytime. You don't necessarily have to sit there and press play on the browser itself so that's just a little bit of uh update for those who are understanding or getting into this podcast thing because it's it's blowing up man it's well honestly I don't know if it's been blowing up it's been consistently growing over the last 10 years the medium is something that uh as you know through the 14 shows here on matt talk online the matt talk podcast network and if you're only familiar with this show i implore you to go over to matttalkonline.com. Underneath the network shows menu, you will see the entire listing of shows on this network. Ten of these shows I produce myself. Then we've also got On the Mat, which is produced by the National Wrestling Hall of Fame's Dan Gable Museum, Earl Smith's Sudden History, which is a tremendous show. Great interviews the last couple weeks with John Reader and Matt McDonough. We've also got the PA Power podcast with Eric. Knop Snyder and Jeff Upson, that's another one we we're adding on, and of course bonus points with Richard Immel, so those are the shows that I don't personally host, but they are on the network, give them a listen, subscribe to your show, rate and review your favorite show, now, if you've been a fan of this, and it's the wrestling offseason, you know, it's not really the off season. wrestling season never ends, just ask my wife, you want daily wrestling news, right? You want to get that You want to get something every day to to, to wet your whistle, your appetite for wrestling news. First thing you can do is go to matttalkonline slash news. You sign up for the free emailing list. Each and every day, daily wrestling news, the best of the web. It's some of it's from the the sites that you frequent already. Some of it's newspapers stuff, feature stories. There's stuff internationally in this thing. Join the team of rising knowledge. I don't know. I, that's a terrible tagline. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'll take suggestions for what you want to call it as far as the daily email wrestling newsletter. Uh, I'm not going to sell your stuff. It's pretty much you can opt out whenever you want. MattTalkOnline.com slash news. You'll opt in and you'll get an email each and every morning with the previous day's wrestling news just in case you missed it. Also, The last thing I'm going to throw at you for today, and I don't really have any hot takes or commentary about the World Cup or anything like that. Uh, I'll touch on that on a future episode. Ray Brinzer. Yes, the legendary Ray Brinzer will be on the next episode, and I'm sure he's going to have some interesting takes on the state of wrestling, international wrestling. He's always had some ideas about uh, the junior nationals and how structure should be working. And, of course, he's got so many stories. He's kind of like a... uh, an enigmatic figure within the sport of wrestling. So we'll get Ray to tell some great stories on the next episode. And if you do like this content, you like this content, you like this content. I know you love this content. You want to consider contributing to the Matt talk podcast network. You can go to Matt talk slash join the team and a couple options there on how you can contribute to this. Compound shirts, I've got the proofs in, the Matt Talk shirts that you can get on a various level of giving. The draft glasses are in, the stickers are in, now the shirts are coming, folks. So, yep, you can do so and and support the on-demand content that I'm producing here at the Matt Talk Podcast Network, matttalkonline.com slash join the team. Thank you for listening. Each and every week. Ron Good was a great episode last week. We're going to have Ray Bringer coming up by the end of this week or next as we record this on June 14th. A lot of stuff coming down the pipe on the other shows. We've got updumbing episodes of the OD Wrestling Monarch Matcast, cast inside Virginia Tech Wrestling. The BVU Beaver cast has renewed for a second season. And you always know what you're going to get with the, the quality stuff that uh, Earl and Richard are putting out on their respective shows. So that's all I got for today. Ooh, I'm getting ran for Rio, man. Jason Nav got me fired up for Rio. Hope you're fired up. Go Team USA. We'll see you next time because you've always got time for short time. The Short Time Wrestling Podcast is brought to you by Flips Wrestling. Share your attitude and be heard at FlipsWrestling.com.